This week's parsha is parsha Vayechi. The climax of parsha Vayechi is the birchas Yaakov, the brachas that Yaakov gives to his sons. And when you hear about the birchas Yaakov, you think that they're all going to be just positive blessings that are being bestowed upon his children as the last um, wishes before he before he dies. But you find that right off the bat, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, they were not really such great blessings, but they were more Musr and They were reprimanding the sons for the various wrongdoings that they committed. The Pasuk concerning Shimon and Levi in particular doesn't even give Shimon and Levi their own unique brachas or messages but they are lumped together as one. Shimon Levi Achim, Shimon and Levi comrades. Kalei Chamas you are always engaged in military conflicts. You have weapons always at your side. You deal with armaments. And of course, Yaakov Avinu was alluding to the terrible incident that took place in Shechem that Dina was, of course, attacked and taken, and in the aftermath of the anger of Shimon and Levi, who felt in their bones that a wrongdoing was committed and a wrongdoing had to be retributed, they took weapons against the entire city of Shechem after they advised them to do a meal on themselves, and when they were in a state of weakness they went and they massacred the city of Shechem. And they felt that that was a justified thing to do. Should our sister be considered to be a harlot? Is there just nothing that should be done when such a terrible act occurs? Yaakov did not agree. Yaakov felt that this was a gross injustice that was committed against the city of Shechem. And... He gave his sons Musr. And he said, Shimon Balevi, you did wrong. And then he continues with his words of reprimand against his two sons, Shimon and Levi. Rav Shimon Schwab, in a Sefer Mayan Beis HaShoeva, points out that it's fascinating how we see that Shimon and Levi were equated by their father. When Yaakov Inu says to Shimon Levi, Shimon Levi Achim, your brothers. What does that mean, your brothers? It means that I look at you as being one and the same. You are part and parcel with one another. Your lot is exactly the same as far as I'm concerned. You're Achim. You're together as one. You're partners. And if Shimon Schwab says that it's fascinating that if they were really the same, if we could start two characters out as being exactly alike, or as like as two human beings can be, let's follow their paths, and how divergent their paths become. Levi, eventually in life, after... That story with Shechem, Levi bounces back, and Levi becomes the great Shevet Levi, who has, amongst 
they're great, Moshe, Aaron, Miriam, we don't have people that are greater in Jewish history than Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. They were the greatest. And their Shevet was Zeicha to serve in the Beis HaMikdash, the Kayhanim, Ba'avei Dasam, Ulevi'en, B'duchanam, the Kayhanim performed all the sacrificial offerings, they blessed Klal Yisrael, Ha'beche, Ba'am Yisrael, Ba'ava, Ha'mavarech, Ha'am Yisrael, Ba'ava, B'nai Aaron are commanded with all of their love in their hearts to bless the Jewish people, Shevet Levi, they sing HaKadosh Baruch all of his praises, on their duchan and their zeicha to so many of the other great, great leadership roles of Klal Yisrael. That's what became of Levi. Levi became absolutely, phenomenally great. Now let's look at Shimon. By contrast, what became of Shimon? Shimon, later on, if we fast forward in the Torah to the end of Hashem's Balak, the beginning of Hashem's Pinchas, we find that Shimon and one of the Nesim, the Nesim Beis Abla Shemaini, by the name of Zimri, they went, him and his Shevet, they went and they were Mizane with the Bnei Smaev. They went and they, cre- they, they conducted themselves immorally with the daughters of Mayav, and as a result of that, there was a great magifa, there was a, an annihilation of 24,000 people, primarily from Shevet Shimon, until Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron HaKayin came, and he slayed Zimri, and that caused the magifa to end. But we see, look at how different their paths became. Shimon and Levi that started out as Achim, they were comrades, they were brothers in arms, and after Yaakov Avinu gave them this Musr Shmuz, their paths became completely different. One became the greatest of Klal Yisrael, Moshe, Aaron, Miriam, Pinchas, Elazar, Nadav, Avihu, the greatest that we have. And on the other end, Shimon went down precipitously in Jewish history as being people that were not conducting themselves to the standards that were expected. Zimri did an act, a vulgar act of Chil Hashem in front of the entire Klal Yisrael. And Pinchas, who was from Sheva Levi, Shimon Levi Achim, he was the one that came and acted with zealotry against Zimri and stopped the Magifah. In English, one of the things that I remember from my uh, secular studies in high school, I had a very good English teacher. His name was Mr. Hirshhorn. I don't know if he listens to Torah anytime, but if he does, it's a shout out. My 10th grade English teacher. I remember he used to teach us about um, foil characters. In literature, you have a concept called foil characters. What's a foil? A foil is when you have, and very often, authors... Uh, create characters, two characters that are very similar. They start out almost identical, and it's fascinating to watch how one goes in one direction and the other goes in the other direction. And this is what we see with Shimon and Levi, how as close as they were at first, 
but something happens to make them change and to make them go zelu mazet. One goes in one direction, one goes in another direction, and it's a fascinating trajectory to watch the opposites. Something that starts out so similarly and how they could become so different and so dramatically opposite one another. I'll give you two other examples of foil characters in Chumash or in Tanakh. I think the most obvious one is Yaakov and Esav. Yaakov and Esav, it doesn't get closer than Yaakov and Esav. They were twins. They were twins and they came out of their mother and they were, they could have been exactly alike. They were from the same father, from the same mother. You can't say that about Yishmael. You can't, with, with Yitzchak. And you can't say that about all the brothers of Yosef. With Yosef, they came from different mothers or different fathers. Esav and Yaakov came from the very same father, the very same mother, with the same exact source, root, potential, brilliance. And we just watch in the Torah how as they grew up, as they grew up, Yaakov became a ben Torah. Yaakov was an Ishtam Yeshev Ha'olem. And Esav was an Ishe, he became a hunter, he became a person who goes out into the field and hunts, and hunts not only animals, but hunts the minds of human beings. There doesn't get a greater foil character than that, watching how their paths diverge. Another foil character that comes to mind is Rus and Arpa. Rus and Arpa were both daughters-in-law of Naomi. In the book of Rus, we know the story starts out that the two sons of Elimelech and, and Naomi, Machlin and Chilion, they're married to two women, two Moabite women, one by the name of Arpa, one by the name of Rus, they were both from royalty, both of these women. They were both very chashuv. And they both were very firm. And they both wanted to follow their mother-in-law after the death of their husbands. They wanted to follow their mother-in-law into Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael at the time had a famine in it. It wasn't the place exactly that many people were swarming to. And these girls could have stayed home. And they could have been princesses in their family's palaces. And they both told Arpa, they both told Naomi rather, that we want to stay with you. We're coming with you to Eretz Yisrael. Wherever you go, that's where we'll come with you. And Naomi says, no, you go back to your nation. Don't come with me. It's not a place for you. You go back. Now your husband's died. Go get remarried. Do whatever you need to do. I'm going alone. And the dramatic Sukkim and Megillus Rus speaks of how Arpa eventually agreed with the advice of Naomi, and she says, okay, goodbye. That Tishak, Arpa, as Naomi, Arpa gave that kiss, Chazal called an Ashika Shafredo, it was a goodbye kiss. And she went on her way, but the Rus Dovkaba, Rus did not give up she was tenaciously clinging to her mother-in-law and she says, wherever you go, I go. Amit, Ami. 
your nation is my nation, your God is my God, and she followed Naomi into Israel. Eventually, she, we know the story and how it unfolds. She eventually marries Bayaz. They were only married for one night. Bayaz dies, but she became pregnant with the future of Kal Yisrael. And the Psukim at the end of the Megillah describes how the children that she had from that relationship, the child who gave birth to another child, eventually gave birth to David HaMelech. David HaMelech was, of course, the forebearer of Melech HaMashiach. She had a glorious future, Rus. She's called Ima Shomalchus. She was the mother of the kingdom of Kal Yisrael. All the kings, David HaMelech and Shlomo HaMelech, all the way down the line to Melech HaMashiach comes from this woman, this Kiyaris by the name of Rus. What happened to her, her good friend, her sister-in-law, that she was so close with, Arpa? So there's a frightening Medrash. The Medrash Rabbah in Rus describes the aftermath of this decision this bad decision on Arpa's part to actually listen to her mother-in-law and go home. That night, says the Medrash in Rus Rabbah, Parakbez, Medrash Chaf, Arsa Laila Shapirsha Arpa Mechamesa, that night that Arpa left her mother-in-law, Nis'arvu Ba Gaius Shalmeya Bnei Adam. There was a group, an army of 100 men that came and they willingly had relationships, she willingly had relationships with all a hundred men, and the Medrash adds, there was a dog also that was with her. And the Baal Musser bring this Medrash, of Chaim Shmulevitz and Asichas Musser and others, how you see how, if you're not careful, in one day, this is on the same night, that night that she made that fateful decision to go away from her mother-in-law and to go back to the land of Maya. That very night, she was able to fall into the depths of depravity. Whereas Rus made a different decision, and that decision affected her entire life, not just her entire life and future, but all of our lives in our future. Sometimes you can have two people that are so close, but they each make different decisions, and those decisions radically change and alter the paths of their lives in the most different ways. So if Schwab wants to know, what is it, getting back to Shimon and Levi, what happened here? How could it be that you have two brothers that are so close and yet their decisions that they make somehow stray so far away? Levi becomes the great shade at Levi and Shimon becomes the lowest of Shvatim. What happened? So we're going to say today two Mahalachim. The first is something that Rav himself suggests and then the Mahalach of Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky. Rav Schwab says... Very simply, and he says, because, you know, you always have to be careful when you're speaking about Gedalim, about Sadiqim, like Shimon, like Levi, you have to be very careful, you know, not to be too harsh with them, because we don't know who these people were. These were the greatest of greats. 
So we speak about them to get some musr out of it, but we can't really, you know, we don't like tar and feathering shifte tar. It doesn't sit well. So Schwab says, maybe a possible suggestion for the difference between Shimon and Levi is that when Yaakov Avinu in this parasha was giving the brachas, and as I said at the beginning, these brachas were not just merely feel-good blessings and, you know, you know, you're a great guy, you'll get this, and you're amazing, you're wonderful, you're terrific, but he was honest with them. Sometimes he was brutally honest with them. And he was telling them exactly what they did right in life or what they did wrong and how they have to improve. It was more, instead of calling it Birchaz Yaakov, it probably would be better termed Musr Yaakov. This is the Musr Shmuz that he was giving before he died. He wasn't trying to butter anybody up. He was trying to tell them truthfully what I think of you and what you need to do to improve your ways. He gave the same Musr Shmuz to Shimon and to Levi. They were lumped together as one. But Rav Schwab says, maybe, Levi listened to the Musr. Levi absorbed the Musr Shmuz. And Shimon did not. You know, if you're ever on the receiving end of Musr, you know, it's a very hard and bitter pill to swallow. Nobody likes being criticized in life. I particularly do not like being criticized. Just, you don't like, no one, you don't, you don't like people telling you, you know, you did this wrong, you did that wrong. You like everybody telling you, you know, you're great, you're amazing, I love it. Somebody says something that's not, you know, that's not so, you know, flattering to you, you get offended. That's natural. That's a very silly attitude, though, to have in life. Because when somebody's giving you musr, unless you feel that he's doing it because he doesn't like you or because, you know, he has it in for you or he just wants to hurt your feelings, but very often if, let's say, a parent gives musr or a rebbe gives musr or a good friend gives musr, he's not doing it to hurt you. Or if a mother is, she's not doing it to hurt you. They're trying to make you improve. They're trying to give you constructive criticism because if they don't, who will? I'll never forget when I was uh, starting out in, in Chinuch. So I was in Brooklyn. We used to live in Brooklyn before we moved here. And I was giving a shear uh, on Shabbos. Some, the rub wasn't in and I, uh, they asked me if I could give a, a shear for Shabbos by Shal Shudas. So I did it. And I thought I did a phenomenal job. It was much like the first year that I started to get into Rabbanus and Tachinuch. And so after the shir was over, after this Musa, the, you know, Shal Shudastrasha, where the fire, where the brimstone was over, I thought everybody was going to give me a Shikayach, and they did. Shikayach was a beautiful job, amazing. When are you going to do it again? You know, exactly like, exactly like I like to hear. But I had a good friend that was in the audience also. And after everybody, you know, was finishing giving me, you know, standing ovation, he came over to me and he says, Maisha, I want to tell you something as a good friend. And whenever somebody comes over to you and says that, you know, already start getting very nervous and like angry and like, you know, you want to like just say, yeah, but I got to go. I'm sorry. I have a phone call or something. Um, but it was Shabbos, so I couldn't say that. So um, he said, you gave a very good speech. 
but there was something that you were doing that was very annoying while you were giving the speech. I used to have like a habit, I guess, that when I was speaking, I would, every other minute, I would, sometimes you hear other people do this also in their speeches, they would say, right? You know, so, you know, Yaakov was giving the brachas, right? And then, you know, and Yosef was there in the room, right? And, you know, not that bad, but like, sort of, that was like, I had like this, this constant refrain of saying the word right. He says, other than that, it was amazing, but you gotta get that word right out of your, out of your speeches. Once you do that, it's gonna be perfect. And at first I was like very upset at him, like, you know, like, you know, can't you just say it was a nice speech, why do you have to say anything bad? But then, like, I had time to think about it and process, and I said, you know what, out of all the people in the room, he's my only friend, because he's the person that actually, you know, was honest with me, I could go through the rest of my life with this irritating habit, or I could get it out of my system and now, and, 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 and work on that. So the only reason why today I'm like a perfect speaker... <laughs> is because of that friend. And had it not been for him, if, every, if he would have also said, yes, sir, excellent job, and not given me any musr, so then I would have continued in my way and think I'm great and, you know, and perfect and, and never perhaps correct that until somebody comes and gives you musr. Now, there are two types of people. There are people that really can take the musr and absorb it, even if it stings a little bit, but after a while, you say, Taki, you know, maybe the guy has a point. Maybe, you know, I'm not perfect. Maybe I'm acting a little gaivadik. And maybe I'm acting uh, not generous enough. Or maybe I don't come on time. Or maybe I'm, you know, I'm missing too much of yeshiva davening fill in the blank. And my Rebbe means it for the best. He doesn't mean to criticize me. He doesn't want to criticize me. He's trying to help me. My parents are trying to give me, you know, a nudge in the right direction. That's one person. One person is able to take it and grow from the Musr. And that's, a, that's an amazing type of human being. When a person is able to be macabre Musr, not just be macabre, but eat it up. Those are people that are really growth-oriented. You know, everyone speaks about growth. Is he, you know, every shidduch resume, I'm looking for somebody that's into growing. What does it mean, into growing? Growing in one word or less is being Makabo Musr. When a person listens to Musr and says, I could take that Musr that I heard today and I'm going to try to incorporate that into who I am and grow from that, even though it's not an easy thing, even though it might hurt to admit that I'm not doing something right, but if I could take that and learn from it, it's going to be amazing. That was Levi, says Rav Schwab. Levi was a person, he heard his father's Musr, and instead of getting angry at his father, instead of saying, why doesn't my father say something nice to me? Why is my father always saying things that are hurtful and critical of me? I want to hear something good. The other brothers, many of them got good, got, got very good reward cards from their father. You know, Yasef and, uh, and Yehuda and, uh, Binyamin, like all of them, they got these beautiful brothers. Why do I get trash? Shimon Valadi, Achim Klay, I'm out of here. This is not for me. Shimon was not able to be macabre of a Musa from the father. He didn't like it. He didn't like the fact that my father is giving me Musa. I don't want to hear what he has to say. And because of that, he stayed Shimon and he got worse. And because of that, Zimri came out and there were terrible ramifications just from not being macabre of Musa. And this is, I think, in and of itself, 
Kedai to give a shmuz about. Because there are many foil characters very often that I see in yeshiva. Two boys from similar backgrounds, both amazing people, fine people, good, B'nai Torah. And sometimes you see like all of a sudden there's divergent paths. One of them is going in the right path and becomes like absolutely outstanding in life. And the other one just sort of, you know, slides and falls and doesn't get up. And you wonder, like, why is it that one goes in that direction, one goes in another direction? And I'm not saying that I have, that this is the magic bullet answer that answers every single problem and explains away every single, you know, buffers mahalach in life, but I will tell you that very, very often I see that it's the people that are able to come to Vadin and come to Shmuzin and to, and to soak it up and to understand that, you know, yeshiva is not just about learning how they should learn Gemara also. But, and if they are learning Gemara, that's itself amazing. But very often you need a lot more than that in order to get through life. And that's what we're trying to do here in yeshiva. And trying to do in yeshiva is give some musr, some hadracha, some hashkafa to get people through life, to fill up your tank so that you are able to get through life, whether it's learning about lessons from the parsha, whether it's le- learning about, we give on Wednesday to Kailo guys, Shalom Bayes Vadin, that we sit together and we talk about how to be a better husband, how to be a better, better father. These are lessons that are not just, you know, you know, for, for today. These are lessons that we're learning, that we're supposed to gain from to last us the rest of our lives. That's what yeshiva is all about. Yeshiva is a place that we're supposed to take in and absorb musr, not in a critical way. Nobody likes criticism. But for us to understand what the right path in life to take is and how not to be, you know, giving in to the Sahara every day and how to be strong and how to learn Torah and how to daven and how to think, and how to be a better human being, how to be a better son, and a better brother, and a better, a better friend. All of these are critical yisraelis to take in life. And if people don't come to these things, either that I give or that other Abayim and Yeshiva give, then they are lacking something very, very integral in their life. They really are. You know, Baruch Hashem, we have an island here today, but it's not a secret that there are many people that are not here. And the people that are not here, some of them have very good excuses, but the people that are not here because they just don't want to be here are people very often that I find, and it's not, I don't think it's coincidental, that they just don't flourish in life going forward. They'll get married in Mitzvah Hashem, and they'll... They'll live a life, but it's not a full life. It's not the same type of life. And I see this because I watch them. We have alumni Shabbaton people come back to Yeshiva. I see the difference. It's noticeable. It's Rishumai Nikar. There's a, there's a, you see it. You see the boys that are here for the Shmuz, the boys that come to the Vads. These are people that want to be macabre. They want to absorb. They want to learn. They want to grow. And they don't assume that they're perfect. And when you assume that you're perfect and you can't take any, you know, any ideas that are different than what you're doing currently and you don't like change, you don't like 
to be told, you know, maybe how to live a better life, a different life, something that's, that's maybe, you know, not exactly what comes naturally, but, but it's, you know that it's for the better. When you're not open to such ideas, then you're going to be in the, in the mold of a shimon. And we see what happens to a shimon. Levi is somebody that's macabre things. And when you're able to macabre and to absorb and to enjoy listening to a new approach and hearing things that, even though it doesn't always sit well at first, but eventually, you know, like the criticism that, you know, that shapes the person, that forms the person, that makes the person different. There are sometimes, I think many of you have told me, or I think many of you know, that there's always like that one Rebbe in, in your life that you weren't doing so well before you came into a shir, and then he was the one that sort of set you on a good path. And it wasn't always easy for that Rebbe, because that Rebbe needed to tell you that you're doing something wrong. And nobody likes criticizing somebody else. But it's because of those key mentors and figures in our lives, whether it's a parent or a Rebbe or a good friend, that's what causes a person to be a lady, to be changed and to be able to really, you know, go and strive to a much higher level than he could have ever imagined that he could be at. It's all because of Musa. That's one Yisrael that we're learning today. There's another Yisrael there, Yaakov Kamenetsky. He almost says, he almost starts his, his vart with the same Yisrael as, as Yaakov Kamenetsky also said, as, as of Shimon Schwab rather, and he also says that what? that Shimon and Levi start out the same and then something drastically happens to make them different. And what is that? So he says, that Rashi says on, in the Birchas Yaakov to Shimon and Levi, on the Pasuk of Achalkeim B'Yaakov Afitzim B'Yisrael, that as a result of your zealotry, Yaakov Avinu tells them, I'm going to scatter both of you amongst Pa'yisrael. How are they scattered? So Rashi says, Whenever you have poor people, whenever you have scribes, whenever you have Malambe Tinaikas, Rabbeim, people that teach children Alephes and Chumash and Rashi and, and Gemara, Mishnayas, Halacha, it's always from Shevet Shimon. And Levi, also they scatter around. They go to the, they go to get the trumas and the maishas and the different granaries all around there. It's Israel. They're being scattered in one way or another. And Rabbi Yaakov Netsky says, why are they scattered in such a way? Now he says, Pashtun, it's an einish. It's a punishment because of what they did. But you could have just made them poor people. Why do you have to make them malamde tinaikas? Rabbeim should be from Shevet Shimon, and who was from Shevet Levi, all of the greatest, the people that brought the Karbanes, the people that sang the Shira, all from Shevet Levi. So look at who became the great religious leaders of Klai Yisrael, from Shevet Shimon and Shevet Levi. Rabbi Akronetsky is wondering, like, why is that? Why does HaKadosh Baruch through Yaakov Avinu say that these Malamde Tinaikas, the Rabbeim and the leaders of Klai Yisrael, should be from Shevet Shimon and Levi. And Rabbi Yaakov Netsky says an amazing aside. What did they do exactly? 
Shimon and Levi? What was the act that they did against Shechem? If you could call it a name, what would it be called? Kanos. There's a word called to be a, a kanoi. Kanoi sort of has like a negative connotation. It means, it means a zealot, somebody that's very, you know, like a, um, a vigilante. Somebody that goes and takes the law into their own hand, doesn't ask too many questions, just so, goes and acts. Rabbi Yankov says that there's a beauty to being a kanoi. We look at it as being politically incorrect. And sometimes it is. But deep down in the soul of a kanai is somebody that is affected by things. Meaning, most of us, you know, if let's say we see Chol Shabbos on the streets, does it really bother us? Can we say honestly that when you see somebody that's not religious, a Jewish person, a next-door neighbor, somebody, just a random person on the street that's driving a car on Shabbos, whether it's in Eretz Yisrael or in America, does it bother you really? Unfortunately, I think, unless you're one of these people that are really, you know, very, very in touch with, you know, with Klai Yisrael, with Halacha, and, you know, most people, I think, we just, like, look the other way. Like, all right, fine, they're not, they're not Shemesh Shabbos. We're Shemesh Shabbos, they're not Shemesh Shabbos. A kanoi is somebody that says, I can't live with the fact that people aren't Shemesh Shabbos. It bothers me. Why should I be the only one to be Shemesh Shabbos? Shouldn't I have everybody else be Shemesh Shabbos? And it really bothers me. It affects me when I see somebody driving on Shabbos. I'll tell you a story. When I was learning in Chaim Berlin many years ago, so I was eating by Rav Aaron Shechter, by the Rosh Shiva for Shabbos. So we were walking home together and it was uh, Rosh Shiva and myself and a few other Archim that would be eating by him. And then there were some grandchildren of his that were like sort of walking right in front of us. Young children. Across from Chaim Berlin, like down the block in front of Rabbi David there is a, like a, a, a painted-in parking spot, a permanent parking spot for Atzala Ambulance. So it was Shabbos, Day was maybe 11.30 in the afternoon, in the morning, Shabbos morning. And a Hatzalah guy has a call. So we see like a from guy, you know, wearing big day Shabbos, the whole nine yards. And he drives his car to the Hatzalah truck. He gets out of the car, out of his own car. He jumps into the Hatzalah car, ambulance. He turns on the sirens. He, you know, turns on the engine and he starts racing off to, to answer the call. Now, that's not Shul Shabbos. That's, that's 100% mitzvah. That's a mitzvah. You have to say, Pikuach Nefesh on Shabbos. But at the same time, if you see that, especially as a child maybe, it just looks funny. It looks funny like to see like a guy in a hat and jacket and, you know, in a, and a tie and wearing big day Shabbos just like you and me. And, you know, he's jumping into an ambulance on Shabbos, starting it up. Sirens are, are wailing. So Aaron like stops all of us. And he starts looking down at his grandchildren and he starts making like a little, not a protest, but just a, a statement. Shabbos Kaidesh! Shabbos Kaidesh! Just to drive into the children's minds and hearts that this is Shabbos. And don't allow your feelings of Kedusha Shabbos to be eroded in any way, to be lessened in any way, to be 
to be damaged in any way by seeing somebody that was, for a very good reason, driving a car on Shabbos, driving an ambulance on Shabbos. They didn't do anything wrong. But the fact of the matter is, if you see somebody that's not keeping Shabbos, quote-unquote, it affects you. But it only affects you if you're a Kanoi. Most people, okay, you see how tall a guy go by, you feel bad that, you know, maybe somebody is sick, you maybe say some film on Shabbos, maybe. But it doesn't bother you that you see that Nebuch, somebody has to be driving a truck on Shabbos. Only a Kanoi really cares. If you're not a Kanoi, you just, you know, things just like roll right off of us. It's like, you know, okay, big deal. You see people eating on, on a tiniest, you pass by a pizza store on Main Street, and you see Jews that are maybe not from Jews, and they're eating, they're, yeah, okay, fine, they're eating, lucky them. It doesn't bother us. Things in life very often doesn't bother us like it should. And it doesn't bother us, not because we're bad people, just because we become insensitive and desensitized to what the Torah Kedusha really is and wants and what HaKadosh Baruch expects. A Kanai is somebody that sees the same thing as everybody else in the crowd, but they actually run and do something active about it. Now, what they do, that we'll talk about in a few minutes. When you should do it, how you should do it, what the best way to, to respond to certain things that aren't appropriate are. But the fact of the matter is, Shimon and Levi, say what you want about their act against Shechem. But they were the only ones that had a problem with the fact that they took Dina, their sister, they, cons- they lowered her, they violated her, they cheapened her. The other brothers, I don't think they were fine with it, but they didn't do anything about it. It didn't concern them that much. Two brothers, Shimon and Lady Achim, they were the ones that took arms and risked life and limb in order to protect and defend the covet of their sister. And there's a beautiful thing, there's a beautiful aspect to that, because a Kanai is alive. A Kanai feels the Tyra pulsating through his veins, and when something is wrong, it bothers him to the core, that he feels, I must do something about it, I can't just sit back idly, and just like, ho-hum. It has to be met with a response. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky says, Yaakov Avinu felt, these would be perfect Rabbeim. These would be great Malamde Tinaikas, great Rabbanim, great Rabbeim. Yerim Mishpatechel, Yaakov, Yaakov late Sheva Levi, was the Shevet that was destined to teach Taira to Klai Yisrael. Shevet Shimon, where the Malamde Tinaikas, the Rabbeim and Yeshivas, came from Shevet Shimon. Why? Because these are people that are moister nefesh every single day with their love of Akadish Farhu and their mysterious nefesh to do the right thing. That's what will drive them to further Akadish Farhu's Torah. It was by design, it wasn't just a punishment that these should be school teachers. You want a school teacher that, you know, really cares about what they're doing. That's what a child deserves. That's what our community deserves. Rabbanim and Rabbeim and Malamde Tinaikis that are alive and passionate and zealous about the call of Hashem. You don't want your children to have Rabbeim that are nine to five in it and that they're not really into it, but you know they just uh, they needed a job, so now they're Rabbeim by default. 
That's not the type of rabbi. You want kanayim. You want people that are alive. You want people that are passionate. People that really care about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. People that feel it. Because only they will be properly dedicated to give over the Torah in the right way. And to make sure that the Messiah is given over from one generation to the other with the right fire and the right flames of Kanos. But we have to ask ourselves, and Rabbi Yaakov does, so if they're both Kanoim, if they're both zealots, if they're both able to do the Maish of Shechem with such energy, so much so that Yaakov said, you would make great Rabbeim, you would make great leaders of Kali so I need your type to lead the Jewish people. So what happened? Why is it that Levi became all that HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Yaakov envisioned and more. And Shimon just floundered. Shimon became Zimri and the Shevet of Shimon, Chavdal and Elif, that were Mesub and Magifa. What happened to Shimon? Why was Levi able to use his zealotry in the best way? gets up and says, Who's going to fight this scourge of the Chetahegel? And who came? Shevet Levi. Shevet Levi came, they stepped to the plate, they did what they had to do. They killed many people in Klai Yisrael who were fighting against in, with the ego. The Kanos of Shevet Levi was beautiful. Shimon, we don't hear about their Kanos anymore, except in a negative way. He was a Kanai Pakert. He was, Shimon Zimri felt, you know, Klai Yisrael is too from, too tzniistic. We have to, we have to loosen up a little bit. We have to take our, you know, B'nai Smarav and, and do terrible Maishim B'farhesya. Let's chill a little bit. They were Kanai against Maishim. And it took Pinchas, who was a Kanai from Levi, to go and stop that Magepa. So Yaakov Kamenetsky, characteristically, he always has these brilliant, insightful pshatim that nobody else sees except for him. He says there's one difference between Shevet Levi and Shevet Shimon going forward. They both heard the Musar Shmuz of their father. They both knew that they had to use their kanars in the best way possible. But Shevet Levi was lucky because Shevet Levi, when they went down to Mitzrayim, all of those years of servitude, they were exempt. Shevet Levi, what were they doing during the 210 years of Galos, Mitzrayim? They were learning Torah. Parah gave them a p'tur. Parah gave them a special dispensation. You sit and learn in yeshiva. Go into your Beis and learn Torah. Shimon didn't have that luxury. Shimon went every day and worked they were doing manual, menial, difficult labor every single day. That was the difference, says Rabbi Yaakov between the Kanos of Levi and the Kanos of Shimon. They both had such potential using that passion that they had. The difference between them was that one was able to temper and mold and be able to, to properly use and learn how to use their kanas, their passion in a terrible way. 
They were sitting in the base medrash and learning. They were able to hear Musar Shmozen. They were able to hear Shiurim. They were able to have a brain that was molded by Das Taira. And when you have that ability to be a Ben Taira, who is a Kanai, that's the most beautiful thing in the world. To be a Ben Taira, that's learning Taira, that's able to inculcate the Midas HaTaira, the Mitzvah HaTaira, all of the Ashkafas HaTaira, and be passionate, there's nothing greater in the world than that. That's Moshe, that's Aaron, that's Miriam, that's Pinchas. Taira people with passion, beautiful. But when you have people that are not Tyradic and they're passionate, but their passion is not properly harnessed, so everything is hefker, and they, it's Ishkal Yashabein Atasa, whatever they feel is appropriate to do for Hashem in the, in the name of God, they do. That's a very, very dangerous mix. Rabbi Yaakov says, I'll just read you the last line of what he says. Rak Only Gedaylei Taira in each generation. Nitnu Bechush Ladas Ulahachlit. Masai Tzrichim Lakane Velimchais. Umasai Tzrichim Lishtaik. Only Gedaylei Taira in every generation are given the ability to know and to decide when it's appropriate to demonstrate and when it's not appropriate to demonstrate. When is it appropriate to take the law into your own hands, as it were, and when is it not? If you don't have a leader, a Torah leader, telling you right from wrong, it could be, you could have the best intentions, but you could create a huge Chil Hashem. And that's the difference between Levi and Shimon. They were both Kanam, they are both very excited to do the Ratzon Hashem, the problem is that one just simply didn't know what the Ratzon Hashem was. And one did. And when you know what the Ratzon Hashem is, and you're passionate, and you have a cause, and a mission, and that mission is shaped and guided and directed by G'dayel Yisrael, that's amazing. That's the ultimate form of being able to be a proper Kanoi. When a person is not, when a person just doesn't do what he is, what he, what a Rebbe tells him to do, and he just does it on his own. I think this is the right thing to do. That's the worst thing in the world. You have to always ask for proper guidance. And if you're doing something because you thought it was the right thing to do, sometimes tremendous chil Hashem's can come out. I mean, look at what happened with Shechem. They didn't go to Yaakovino and say what we're going to do. Had they said that, this whole problem wouldn't have happened. But they felt they had to take the law into their arm. This was the right thing to do. And we don't even want to know. Or we're afraid to ask a Shaila about whether it's right or wrong. We're going to just do it. This is the right thing to do. They were wrong. Yaakov even said that they were wrong. But they felt that they were right. But so what if they felt? If you don't have proper guidance, then you can't say that you're right. Kina is good, but only if it's a tired Kina. There is a great leader of Klai Yisrael, his name is Rabbi Yitzchel Khan Inspector, the Rav of Kavna, but the Gadol Adar. And Rabbi Yitzchel Khanan had a, like a, a person that was like his assistant. And he was a very big Kanai, and Rabbi Yitzchel Khanan was also a Kanai. They had a lot to, you know, to, to be passionate about. There was 
a lot of Chol Shabbos going on, even in, the, in their own city, in their own backyard of Kovna. Kovna we think of as like an Irvein Bisra, which it was, but in the early 1900s there was people that were affected by the Askala, and eventually they started to be Mechal Shabbos, many of them. And a lot of stores were open on Shabbos, and Rabbi Yitzchak fought very mightily to try to stop that. But he did it in a very, very nice, beautiful way. He didn't do it with, you know, with, with violence. He did it, what he would do is if there was like a barber shop that Arab Shabbos was open, and he was planning on staying open for Shabbos, he would walk into the barber shop on Arab Shabbos near Shkia, and he would sit in the barber's chair. And the barber would say, Rebbe, what, what's, what's the Kovner of doing in my store? It's flattering, but like, it's almost Shabbos. He said, I'm going to stay in this chair until you close your store on Shabbos. And one Shabbos passed, maybe, and he had to stay in the store late. So on the third Shabbos, the guy already said, Rebbe, you won. I'm not going to keep my store open anymore on Shabbos. And eventually, with a lot of love, he was able to bring people back. He was passionate. He wasn't just indifferent about Shabbos Shabbos. He knew that it was wrong, but he did it in the most beautiful way. He was a kanai, but a non-violent kanai, a kanai with dastera. But he had an assistant who was much more forceful and much more violent and much more, you know, he was doing it because he had an agenda. And Rizal Khanim said about him and, and, and his assistant that we're both kanayim, he used to say, we're both these zealots, we're both very passionate about about. Chil Shabbos, about Paschala, about all the different things that were plaguing Klal Yisrael, he says, but we're very different. He says, there's a mushal of a, a woman, a housewife, a balabuster, and she had a rodent problem in her house. She noticed that she had mice running around her house. So what do you do if you have a, a rodent problem? Very easy, you go and buy a cat. And the cat goes and chases after the mice. So he says, there's a difference though between the balabuster, the, the wife, this woman of the house, and the cat. Because they both want to get rid of the, the mice, but there's an inherent difference. The balabuster would be much happier had there never been a, mice in the, a mouse in the house in the first place. But the cat wants there to be mice because he likes to eat the mice. He says, that's how I am. He says, I, I'm like the Balabosa. I prefer if there would be absolutely no problem. I don't want to be a Kanai needlessly. I'm not, I don't get excited about just being against things. I wish that Klayisha would be perfect, but Nebuch, I have to, I have to take a stand because, look, people are doing the wrong thing and it bothers me. What should I do? My assistant over here, he's the opposite. He just likes being a Kanai for the sake of being a Kanai. He's like the cat. He loves the, the violence and the action and he needs, he needs excitement in his life so oh, he has a battle. He'll fight this fight and that fight, but he likes it because he has skin in the game. He likes to do it, not because it's for Hashem. A real Kanoi, a shade that Lady did Kanoi is like Pinchas, like the Torah describes that Pinchas. Hakarishpaku praises Pinchas and says, Bekanoi es kinasi. You were not just, you didn't just do an, a, a random act of vengeance and of zealotry, you did it for me. You did it in my name, for my sake, and purely for my sake. The Mesos Yisharim and Parak Yotas in, in the Chelek of Chasidus, he writes just a few lines about a, about Kinnah, about a Kanai. He says, Sheya Adam Mekanu Lashem Katshay. 
a person should be mekane for Hashem's name. Try to stop people that are against Hashem. So that Hashem's Aveda should be fulfilled. And he says that this is somebody who loves Hashem. Somebody that's a real Tanoi is somebody that goes and he sees that Hashem is being damaged, that the Torah is being damaged. And he loves Hashem so much that that's what drives and motivates his actions. But you need G'dayle Taira to tell you right from wrong. You know, going back in the, in the 1970s, um, there was, it was a very difficult time for the Jewish people because the Soviet Union was um, holding back Jews from leaving. And we know communist Russia was a terrible place for a Jew to be. They didn't allow them to, uh, you know, to practice religion. They weren't allowed to give brismilas and Shabbos and Yantif and everything had to be done very, very hiddenly, very in secret. They weren't allowed to have svarim. People smuggled in with great Messiah Snapish, smuggled in suitcases with tefillin, with talisim, with tzitzis, with with, with Matzis, with Mara, with whatever they could get into the Soviet Union, and KGB agents were following them and running after them, and very often they would get them in big trouble. And there was a big discussion about how to properly deal with, with this issue. And many people felt that the best way to do it was to make these big demonstrations. And, you know, go take to the streets in front of the UN, in front of the Russian embassy, and, you know, thousands screaming, let my people go. But the G'dayli Yisrael were not for this. G'dayli Yisrael felt that there are other ways to do it. They were afraid that it would cause um, the Jews in Russia to be, to be hurt. You know, if the Russians saw that, that in America there were Jews that were, you know, making embarrassing protests for the Russian government... They might take revenge against the Jews in Russia and, and even tighten down on them more. The Gdaili Israel felt differently about how to deal with the problem than the, than the average, you know, lay leaders of the Jewish people. Now, you know, you could debate, you know, exactly what happened and, and what helped and what didn't help. But the point is that we listen to Das Tyre. Whenever we have a question, we don't say, this sounds like the right thing to do. We've got to go and take the streets and make public protests about this. And Iran, you have to know, what does the G'daylam say to do? If the G'daylam who sat like Shevet Levi and Mitzrayim for many, many years, steeped in nothing but Taira, they decide that this is the right way to be a Kanai, to say, Mir Hashem and do it this way, then we listen. But if we feel it's a good thing to do and we don't have any that are behind it, then that's not the right type of kanais. A kanai has to be like a lady kanai and not like a shimon kanai. And that's a very important yisaid for us to learn this morning. I'll tell you a, a maisa that happened and we'll end with this. Um, Rav Shach. Shach was a shiva of Panimich. He was the god of Adar. He was the Manigadar, it's very rare to find one individual that was so, you know, such a, a leader of Klai Yisrael. And somebody came to Rav Shach and told him the following story. 
that he lived in a city called Ezra's Tyre, it's a suburb of Yerushalayim, and Ezra's Tyre has a very big road, like passing by it, it's called Kvishramot. And Kvishramot was a place that a lot of the Kanoim, the wild Kanoim in, in Eretz Yisrael, who came from different places to start a fight, they used to take rocks, and they used to throw it at cars, at Chilonim that were driving on Kvishramot, they would throw the rocks, and it, would, it was, uh, you know, it was a terrible Chil Hashem, because a rock never stopped the person being Mechal Shabbos. It just made them want to do it more. It never brought a person back to Yiddishkeit. It made a person, it drove a lot of people away from Yiddishkeit. But they felt that this is, you know, Shabbos, and they take stones and they throw it. It's throwing a stone itself on Shabbos is Chil Shabbos. But this is what many kids, mostly youngsters, did without guidance. And, and it was a terrible Chil Hashem. There was a, a Yid that lived in Ezra's Torah, a Yerushalmi Jew. And he, he didn't stand with the Kanaim on that side of the road. He went on the other side of the road where there were Chilonim that were watching these kids throw rocks at the cars. And one rock hit a car in a very, very bad way. It damaged the window and the windshield. And, and he felt so bad, this Yerushalmi Yid, that Nebuch, this, this Jew in the car, had to, you know, have a rock thrown at him, and it was a very, uh, you know, he, it bothered him. He wasn't just a person that just like, you know, okay, a big deal. It really got to him, and affected him. He was a positive kanoi. And he went, he remembered the license plate of that car. And then he had a friend in like the Israeli DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles, and he was able to, to get the address of that car based on the license plate. And he went to this Chiloni's house that week and he knocks on the door and this, this son, this little boy, opens the door and says, you know, what can I do for you? He says, is your father home? So he says, he screams at Abba, yesh chasid achad, daber. So he said, um, so the father says to him, not interested, tell him I gave it the office. So, um, so the Yerushalmi Yid says, please tell your father that I really need to speak to him. So eventually the father gets off the couch and comes to the door and says to him, you know, you know, what, what do you want? Obviously he was still very upset by the incident and he was hostile towards all from people. And he said, I just, I, I was, on Shabbos I was at that, you know, that gathering of people that were throwing rocks and I saw that your car got hit and I understand that you're new to this area, and I just want you to know that I live in this area, my friends live in the area, the people that are throwing the stones are not locals. They're people that come from out of town, and they, they're just rabble-rousers, they just come to make trouble, but they're not people that represent our values. We are not people of violence, we are people that love other Jews. And here is my name, here is my number, if you ever want to, you know, to speak about anything, you know, please call me. And he was obviously touched, this Chiloni, that this Jew went out of his way to come and, and welcome him. A week later, this Yerushalmi gets a call, and it's this, this Jew from Ramot, and he says, you know, we're, we just, as you know, we just moved into the neighborhood. We're looking maybe to start keeping kosher a little bit. Do you have any recommendations of like restaurants that it's okay for us to eat in and, and supermarkets that we could shop in? I said, sure. 
And then the next week he says, you know, my wife and I were talking, we might want to start, you know, maybe praying once in a while on Shabbos in a shul. He says, can you re- refer me to like some nice shul that would be, you know, a good shul for me to daven in. He gives him, he does some research, he finds some, a good shul for him to daven in. And then a couple of weeks later he says, you know, my son is almost bar mitzvah and I'd really like for him to, to know the parasha and to, to lane and maybe he'll say it's Vartara by the Bar Mitzvah. And before long, one Shabbos after another Shabbos, these people became Shemri Tara Mitzvahs. All because of this positive form of Tanos. Because this Jew wasn't going out and throwing rocks and, you know, having an agenda, having fun. Rather, this Jew was doing Tanos with shame, Avas Hashem. That's the ultimate type of Tanoi. A lady, Shevet lady, Aaron Akayin was Ayev Shalom, the Raydev Shalom, the best way of Tanoi. Tanoi means to be passionate about Yiddishkeit, to be somebody that really cares about the Rabbi Shalom, about the Torah, but doesn't respond in a violent way, doesn't respond in a wild way, uncontrollably. Levi was able to take the Musr from his father and to learn how to harness all of that energy that he has inside of him and to bring it to a positive Tanos that shaped and formed and molded the future diaries of Klal Yisrael. And Shimon was wild. Shimon was not able to macabre the Musr. It didn't resonate. Rather than taking the Musr, he rejected the Musr. And he became a Kanai, but a Kanai in a very opposite way than the Tyre really wants you to be. So what we should take from today is that to continue to come to the Shmuz and to always be a Makabal, always be able to appreciate when somebody is giving you Musa, even if it's a friend, and you say, well, you know, he's not my friend anymore. I want friends that are nice to me, that are saying good things about me. I don't want friends that criticize me. The friends in life that criticize you, believe it or not, those are your true friends. And the friends that keep slapping you on the back and saying you're amazing, they might seem to be true friends and they might be very nice people, but that's not really what a friend is supposed to be. And if we have a passion in life, if we have a passion in life, and hopefully we are when you're young, you have to be passionate, you have to be alive. When you get older, that's when you start getting, you know, jaded and, and, you know, and a little bit, you know, less passionate. But when you're young, you have to be excitable. You have to be eager to do and to, and to strive and to grow. And to be a kanoi, but to be a kanoi means you have to follow what the Torah says a kanoi must be. When we're passionate about a cause, when we want to do something great, that's the most beautiful thing to do, to be a have great dreams and to aspire to fulfill them, but they always have to be it always has to be with the approval and the authority of a tire personality that could say that what you're doing is right. This is a good movement to start. This is a good idea to put into action. Because if a person just does things on his own and thinks that it's great, very often it's quite the opposite. So Mitzvah Hashem, we should be passionate, we should be kanoim with Hashem, we should be makabli musr, and Mitzvah Hashem, we will all grow and get stronger together.